Our scripture this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verses 24 through 27. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus, I'm sorry, I don't know where that came from, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, or as always, it's printed on the cover of your bulletin. As you're able, if you would, please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Do you not know that in a race the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it, so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And let us pray. Now, dear Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I want to tell you something you don't hear a lot of people say. All right. When I was in the Army, I used to love the Army PT test. A lot of folks do not like the Army PT test. It is the Army's physical training test. They change it from time to time. Uh, most of the time I was in, it consisted of three events, sit-ups, push-ups, and a two-mile run. There was a point system. The more sit-ups you could do in a two-minute period, the more points you got. Same with push-ups. And the faster you could do your two-mile run, the more points you got. Total possible points was 100 in each category, giving you a maximum score of 300. There was also a minimum score, and you had to have the minimum score to pass. Part of the Army regulations, you had to pass your PT test every year, so there was a minimum score. Some people simply wanted to pass it. That was all they wanted. I tried to set my sights higher. I always wanted to get the best possible score I was capable of. But there was a problem there. It is basically an athletic event, and God did not make me the most athletic of people. So I knew it was going to take extra hard work. Every day, day after day, year after year, I was doing sit-ups, push-ups, and running so I could earn the best possible score for this reason. Uh, every, every time I'd be in a new unit and I, they would announce a PT test coming up, I would look at soldiers and say, anybody that can beat my PT score, I'll buy you a steak dinner. I said that to soldiers that were 10, 15, 20 years younger than me. It is adjusted, by the way, the points are adjusted for age, and I thank God for that. But um, if you can beat my score, I'll buy you a steak dinner. And they would look at me, some young athletic kids, they'd look at me up and down and they'd say, all right, chaplain, let me tell you how I like my steak. And I'd say, hold off, first you got to beat the score, and then we'll talk. I made that offer a lot. I never bought a steak. And they were shocked. They just knew they could beat me. 
What they didn't know is how hard I worked. Because I worked at it very hard. Part of that for me was the credibility that earned with soldiers. Uh, that gave you, especially as a chaplain, if you could beat their PT score, you had some instant credibility. Uh, you would earn their respect. And that was important to me as a chaplain to have that. The other reason I did it, in all honesty, is because it was kind of fun if I was walking by them and they were bragging about this or that. I'd stop and say, okay, before you think you're all that, remember, you can't beat a chaplain. When you can beat the chaplain, then you can talk about how good you are. Uh, but it was just simply a lot of hard work, a lot of discipline, which is what I want us to talk about this morning, discipline. Now, bigger picture, we're talking about wisdom. And we've been talking about wisdom. This is now our third week. We started off looking at Jesus' parable of the wise and the foolish builders. And we see that the foolish choice, as a general rule, looks easier, often might be easier on the front end, might look more appealing, but there are always consequences to the foolish choice. The wise choice might be much more difficult in the short term, but always better over the long run. So we're looking at wisdom at different, in different aspects of our lives. This morning I want us to talk about wisdom in terms of discipline. And one of the things we've seen is that there's no better source of wisdom than the book of Proverbs. So each week we're looking at different scriptures, but also Proverbs and what they have to say about a topic at hand. So as you look at the scripture from the Apostle Paul, you can see the wisdom of discipline. Paul talks about the importance of discipline. Do you not know in a race the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. For a runner to win, to compete, he has to work at it. Work at it tremendously. It's hard work. Uh, athletes exercise self-control in all things. Ac athletes are disciplined. They have to be. They exercise self-control in all things. If you've ever watched an athlete train, you know that to be true. You know how hard they work for that one moment. Uh, tell you something you may not know. They haven't, nobody's made a big deal out of it. So, but the Falcons last week won the NFC Championship game. So next week they're in the Super Bowl. The last time that happened was 18 years ago. They won the NFC Championship game. I remember watching it like it was yesterday. In Minnesota, against the Vikings, nobody had given us a chance. It went to overtime, and Morton Anderson kicked a 38-yard field goal in overtime to clinch the NFC Championship for the Atlanta Falcons for the first time ever. Anderson, by the way, is eligible to be inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame. We'll find out this Saturday. I'm pulling for him. But I heard him interviewed, and they said, what did you think the odds were of that kick going in? And he said, oh, I knew. When it came down to that field goal, I knew it was over. I knew we had won before I ever made the kick. And they said, were you that confident? He said, not so much confidence. I had practiced that much. I had trained that hard. I was that prepared. He said, you have no idea how many times I was out on the field making that kick for just such an occasion. 
I knew I could do it. I had worked to be able to do it. Athletes, Paul says, exercise self-control in all things. They practice. They are disciplined to practice. The word in the Greek, the original language from the New Testament, that's translated exercise self-control. Hear me now. Those three words are one word in the Greek. The word for exercise self-control is agonizomi. I had to write it down so I could remember to pronounce it. Agonizomi. We get our word agonize from agonizomi. That's the kind of training, discipline, Paul is talking about. That you work so hard at it to make sure that you're giving everything you've got. Wisdom calls for a disciplined life. It's helpful in athletics. It's helpful in all aspects of life. If you don't believe me, look at Proverbs. Now, there's a couple of different ways we use the word discipline, right? And Proverbs addresses both. One of them is almost punishment, at the very least correction. Somebody messes up and they have to be disciplined. Proverbs says, those who spare the rod hate their children, but those who love them are diligent to discipline them. Sometimes parents have to discipline their children. Sometimes adults need to be disciplined as well, right? But the other way we use it is like athletes. In Proverbs 12, it says, those who love discipline love knowledge, self-control, work ethic, practice, discipline. No matter your field, discipline is a wise choice. It's true for musicians listening to Spencer play the bass. Uh, He didn't just pick that up this morning. He has worked at that. He has practiced that. He's disciplined at that. Listen, Rick play the organ, Sonia play the piano. Uh, I asked Sonia at 945, uh, when she started playing piano, she said six, practicing at least an hour a day, on and on, to be as good as she is, so that we hear what we hear. You heard my wife sing this morning. Uh, you know she's a chorus teacher. You know she has a pretty voice. You don't know how hard she has worked over the years. She could have said, God gave me a decent voice. This is enough. But she didn't. She has a master's degree in vocal performance because she wanted to be as best as she could as she sang for God. She was disciplined in the study of voice. Uh, You see that true of most really good singers. I heard Idina Menzel interviewed not too long ago. She is a Broadway actress. She was nominated for a Tony Award for the musical Rent on Broadway. She won a Tony Award for the musical Wicked on Broadway. She's also done a movie. She did a little Disney movie called Frozen that you might have heard of. Her character sang a song called Let It Go. If you've ever been around an adolescent girl, you've heard the song Let It Go, right? Uh, It was the number one hit. It won an Oscar. It won a Grammy Award. It was a big deal. Idina Menzel sang that song in the movie. So I heard her interviewed, and she was talking about being invited to the White House to sing the national anthem for some event at the White House. Uh, And they said, is there anything you need? And she said, yes. I need a room to warm up. And she went on to talk about how she was disciplined as a singer. She wouldn't simply walk out anywhere, much less the White House, and sing the national anthem without first practicing, without first warming up. So she said, yes, I need a room where I can warm up, work on my voice. 
And they said, we'll find a room for you. And they did. You know where they put her? I thought this was funny. The White House China Room. That's where you want somebody hitting high notes, right? Is in the White House China Room. If you're a musician, you need to be disciplined. If you're an athlete, you need to be disciplined. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. It's true in any field. But it's especially true in the faith. John Wesley knew this. Wesley was very methodical. We know that. That's why we are called Methodists, right? But he was also incredibly disciplined. He woke up at 4 o'clock every morning to pray. He could tell you how many hours a day he spent in prayer. He was very disciplined in how he deployed his preachers. He is very disciplined in not only in writing his journal, but in saving his journals. Even in the late 18th century, he was able to preserve volumes and volumes and volumes of his journals that we still have access to today. He was an incredibly disciplined soul, and he knew the importance of discipline for the faith. He wrote a sermon called Causes of the Inefficacy of Christianity. Causes of the Inefficacy of Christianity. In other words, he felt like the Christian faith was not as effective as it should be So he wrote a sermon to look at the causes. Let me read to you a small quote from it. Wesley said, In some parts of England and Ireland, scriptural Christianity is well known, especially in London, Bristol, Dublin, and almost all the large and populous cities and towns. In these, every branch of Christianity is openly and largely declared. And thousands upon thousands continually hear and receive the truth that is in Jesus. Now that sounds good so far, right? But then he goes on and says, Why is it then that even in these parts, Christianity has had so little effect? Even where it's been preached everywhere, he said it still has so little effect. He says, Now, how is this to be accounted for? I conceived thus, he says, it was a common saying among the Christians in the primitive church, the soul and the body make a man, the spirit and discipline make a Christian. Wesley said one of the reasons that the faith was not as effective as it should have been is because the people who had faith and practiced faith did not have enough discipline. Those who love discipline love knowledge. To be disciplined in the faith is always the wise choice. Paul said, athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to go after a wreath that will perish, that won't last. We do it for a greater purpose. Paul says, he doesn't run aimlessly. It's not just a matter of being disciplined for Paul, but disciplined for a higher purpose, to work hard for a higher purpose. Not simply for the sake of working hard. Certainly not because he thought his salvation depended on it. And I do want to say that in this sermon. We don't work so that we can earn our salvation. We can't do anything for that. Salvation is a free gift of God's grace. But once we've received that, we're called to give all we have to live that faith out. I saw this years ago in Bill Bright. Discipline for a higher purpose. I saw it in Bill Bright. 
He is the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. They have since changed the name of that, and I can't think of what it is now. But ages ago, he, wanted, he had a dream for the gospel to be on every college campus. So he started this ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ, spread around the country and ultimately around the world. As he got older, you might have thought, you know, that's a, what a great legacy. Once you do that, you could kick back, retire, and say, I feel pretty good. But Bill Bright did not. He started something new late in his life called the Beyond All Limits Conference. The first one was in Orlando, Florida. We didn't know it at the time, but it was held six months before he died. Beyond All Limits, he brought in speakers from uh, churches around the country and around the world, some of the best voices in Christian leadership, to try to inspire a new generation of Christian leaders. And they brought him up on stage and they said, listen, you've done great work. What caused you at this point in life to work this hard to try to start something new? And he gave what was to me the most humble but most ambitious answer I could imagine. Very mildly, he said, because I want to see the world one for Christ. Wow. I want to see the world one for Christ. Instead of kicking back late in his life, he dug in and was working harder because it was for a higher goal. He wanted to see the world one for Christ. Those who love discipline love knowledge. I started this with an army story. Let me, let me end with one. Uh, as When you sign in, whatever branch, you get to do basic training. If you've ever been in the military, you got to do basic training. Uh, I was going in as a chaplain, and they told me, oh, listen, for chaplains, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. What I didn't know is that they had just changed that. The guy that was over training for chaplains was a former infantry officer who decided it would be important for chaplains to be trained like other soldiers are trained, that we need to do all that other stuff as well. Uh, nobody bothered to mention that. So after the first week, uh, it had not been a good week for me. Uh, I would have been happy coming home, but it turns out the Army doesn't like you to do that. Uh, once you start, they kind of like you to see it through. Uh, but it was just a tough, tough 12 weeks. Uh, it was no fun at all. I have been, I've spent my time in basic training, and I've spent a year in a war zone. And if you say, for a week you got to do a war zone or you got to do basic again, I would go back to the war zone. And most people I know that have done both will give you the same answer. Basic training is no fun. But it was in the heat of the combat zone that I really did come to appreciate basic training to realize they had pushed us so hard so that those things we had to know and had to do when our lives and the lives of our buddies depended on it had been so ingrained in us at basic that it had become second nature. That was where I really appreciated the importance of that discipline. If we're willing to dig that deep and do that much as a soldier for a country, are we not willing to do it for what the hymn says, as a soldier of Christ? Are we not willing to give everything, give our all for the cause of the kingdom? So let me close with a couple of questions just to think about. Wisdom of discipline. Where in your life of faith, where in your life of faith do you need to be more disciplined? Is it in the study of Scripture? 
Do you walk past the Bible on the coffee table and go, one of these days I'm going to crack that thing open and see what's in there? Do you need to be more disciplined in your study of Scripture? Do you need to be more disciplined in the area of service? When we stand up in announcements and go, we need help here, do you go, well, I'm glad somebody else will do that? Do you need to be more disciplined in your life in the area of service? Do you need to be more disciplined in your life, in your prayer life? Do you go, "I, I know I need to do that, but has God given you a gift? And maybe you're pretty good, but if you practiced, if you were a little more disciplined, you would be that much better and could give your very best to God. Where do you need to be more disciplined in your life of faith? That's the first question. And having heard that, the second one is obvious. Are you willing to step up and make that commitment? The foolish answer is no. The wise answer is, well, you know what the wise answer is. Let us pray. Gracious God, remind us that Jesus gave his all so that we might have this marvelous life in abundance. He gave his very all. Give us the spirit, dear Lord, the discipline, dear Lord, to give our all for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn this morning is